Well, my name is Keith Williams. I am a member at Paragon, uh, but I'm in the middle of a six-week uh, preaching assignment. So uh, for some of you, you begin to, to join and worship with us while I've been gone. So uh, I hope I'll get a chance to meet you and, and get to know you a little bit better. Um, oh, the little kids. Thank you. I told my wife yesterday, and I've reminded this several different times, I am ADD adult deficient, attention deficient. So I think of one thing, I do one thing, <clears throat> and doing something else is not what I'm about. So kids, stand up. Say goodbye to your parents. <clears throat> and head towards the door. If you have your Bible, your tablet, your phone, or whatever other device that you might have your Bible on, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. Actually, at some degree, we're going to be looking all of 1 Corinthians and all of 2 Corinthians in a, in a small way. As you know, we have been, uh, Matt in particular here, has been for the last Sunday or two, uh, focusing on the Gospel Project. That's what the kids are studying uh, in the back room. And they're looking at the same text, probably a smaller portion of that text. Um, and the desire of Matt was that you would get an adult version, they would get a kid's version, and then during the week you would have something to talk about in terms of doing uh, home discipleship, and uh, I hope that you're actually following up on that. Um, because the reality is, as good as those teachers are, uh, the Christian faith is more caught than taught, and you are the ones as parents, grandparents, who have the modeling out of that truth in your home uh, during the week. So again, I hope that you... Um, kind of digest what we're talking about, ask your kids questions, what they're talking about, and, and do that modeling and discipling at home. Again, the passage that we're going to look at that was assigned today uh, is 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 12. If you look in the scripture, chapter 10 through 12 is one more time where Paul to the church at Corinth is defending his apostleship. Now, the, the first thing that you and I would probably think about, the writer of Galatians and Romans and, and all these things, why in the world would he have to defend his apostleship to a church that he helped actually start at, at some degree? It's beyond us why that would have to happen. But as a local church... Is that me? Okay. As a local church pastor... Periodically, I would have to defend my calling and my role as a pastor. It's just human nature is at play. Maybe not human nature at its best, but it's nevertheless human nature. So we're going to look this morning at the, the theme, what hinders us from, the go from a gospel focus. Matter of fact, the kids are going to be looking at guarding biblical truth. So they're going to really narrow it down a little bit 
I'm going to take it much broader and look at the overall theme of what Paul is dealing with that is defending his apostleship. So let me ask you a question. As some of you know, I, uh, as I have started preaching over the years, I ask questions more than make declarative statements. Are you ever distracted in your Christian focus by critical people? If you're not, you're much godlier than I am. Because sometimes critical people kind of get under my skin. At the last church I pastored in California, I was asked that question specifically, and I said, you know, if someone comes to me, I'll pick on JD because we're pretty good friends. If JD comes to me and says, Keith, I see this in your life, and I recognize that I may be blind to that area of my life, I receive that criticism because it's criticism out of a loving heart, a caring heart, a friendship heart. But if somebody else, I'll pick on Johnny now, comes to me and says something critical, but I know it's not to build me up, but to tear me down, and I think I know Johnny better than that, but he just gets to be picked on. Kind of the back of my hair it stands up, and I will listen, and, but I will ignore what he has to say. But Paul had to deal with real people who had criticisms, and most of them are negative. Now, one of my favorite uh, cartoon characters is Charlie Brown. And so Charlie Brown is having a bad day. He's, he's just standing there kind of moping, and his best friend Lucy comes up. And Lucy says, Charlie Brown, are you having a bad day? Charlie Brown doesn't say anything. So Lucy, being Lucy, said, well, you know, Charlie Brown, do you know what the problem is? And before Charlie Brown could even answer, she said, Charlie, the problem is you. And Charlie Brown then says, well, what, do I do? what, what can I do about that? And she says this, I don't pretend to be able to give advice. I just point out problems. And if you know anything about that relationship, she was very good at doing that. I read a story this week about a church member who had a combative and kind of a know-it-all personality. <clears throat> and uh, the pastor came to him and said, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's been kind of tense at times when you are seemingly always criticizing the work of others in the church. So what we really like you to do is help us out by taking the initiative to suggest plans and strategies that, would, that you think might work for us, be a part of the team rather than criticism. And here's what he said, no, you go ahead and make your plans and I will point out the problems. And there are people in the church like that. They're just wired that way, maybe not trying to be uh, intentionally critical. They just see things that way. Well, that somewhat happens, uh, not more than just somewhat. It really is what happened in chapters 10 through 12, where Paul is, is responding to those criticisms. He ends uh, chapter 10 this way, verse 17 and 18. He said, So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For the one who is commending himself, who, uh, let me back up. 
For it's not the one who is commending himself who gets approval, but rather the Lord, the one who the Lord commends. Isn't that true? We all can have that tendency to self-promote ourselves, but the only person that counts, especially in the church and the Christian ministry, is who the Lord affirms, who the hand of the Lord is upon. And then in the message commentary, he begins chapter 11 this way. Will you put up with a little foolishness with me for just a minute? Can, can you do that just for a moment? And I, I told Pastor Matt, uh, when I first started studying for this, I, I looked over these chapters probably five or six different times in various translations. And I, I really thought, where in the world do I need to go with this? And I looked at it, and here Paul, the great apostle of grace and mercy, and again, Romans, the theology of that. And I thought, just total frustration says, let's just play around a little bit. Matter of fact, some translation says, let's, can you put up with some folly for a little bit? I can't imagine the total frustration that Paul had Again, for the, in the second letter, trying to deal with this issue. One commentary put it this way, quoting from another translation, Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly. Paul doesn't call his defense of his apostleship folly because that would really be, in his words, nonsense. But there was a part of the church at Corinth who would question everything he did, every motive of every decision he made. So he calls it folly because reluctantly he's addressing this again. And I had thought before I read the commentary, and so, you know, it's kind of good when a, commentary, uh, a commentator uh, affirms what you were thinking. And I thought, Paul probably thought in his mind, there's a thousand other things that I'd rather be doing then again, one more time, addressing the criticism of the church in Corinth. Paul gives us serious warnings about being critical or condescending. Matter of fact, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he said this, Let no one deceive you. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him be a fool so that he can become wise. One of the things that, that as I get o a little bit older, um, I will be 72 in, in, uh, in November. And as a matter of fact, somebody last week told me, when I told them that I was going to children's camp this week, they said, what? <laughs> it was an older congregation, and that was not in their mindset at all. But uh, one of the good things about that, it does kind of tend to keep me a little bit younger. But we can get to a point where we think our experience, our education, gives us wisdom. And we always have to check that with the Word of God. We need to have accountability. So other, again, I picked on JD. Be at a place where we're teachable and open, where someone who maybe sees something that we don't see can speak that truth into our life. Listen to these, just two, I could have picked a dozen verses of Scripture. But you get the tone of what Paul is dealing with 
In 2 Corinthians 11, 5 and 6, here's what he says. This is uh, the New Living Translation. I don't consider myself inferior any, to, in any way to these super apostles. So let's dialogue a little bit. What do you think Paul is dealing with here? Louder. Smart Alex, okay. Some new kids on the block come, maybe more charismatic, and we'll find this out in a little bit. And they begin to say, you know, Paul does a lot of things, but these guys, these are, they are it. You know, it's not always the new kid on the block that maybe has a lot of charismatic, uh, you know, personality, strong, winsome, maybe doesn't have the experience of an older guy. So he says, look at, I don't consider myself inferior to these. Matter of fact, I may be unskilled in speaking. What do you think is going on there? Louder. A little bit, but maybe Paul, in essence, is not a dynamic speaker. And that's the criticism of him. But he goes on to say, no, I might not be skilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. So what you and I want from someone is not someone that's got all the flash. We want to know there's substance behind what he is saying. 2 Corinthians 10.10. Some say, and this is Paul repeating what he has heard, Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he's weak and his speeches are worthless. Now can you imagine us looking back and saying that of Paul, what we know of what he wrote and, and all that? So it's not always easy to be up front Because when you're up front, then there's the chance for more and more criticism. So how do you and I deal with critical people and demonstrate a gospel focus? One of the things you're going to find out, every response from Scripture is found in 1 and 2 Corinthians. It it would be easy easy for me to go to other books and bring in other biblical passages But this gives you a real context of what Paul has dealt with. First of all, don't allow yourself to be sidetracked. If God has spoken into your heart and you're knowing that what you're doing is what God's will is for your life, no matter what anyone else says, don't get sidetracked. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 12. But I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to deny the opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals in what they boast about. Paul says, in essence, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. They could do whatever they want to do, but I am not going to get sidetracked from doing what God has called me to do. Critical people could do that. The next thing you know, you're focusing on trying to please them rather than please God, and Paul says, don't do that. The second thing he says, don't give critics anything to talk about. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 1.12. Indeed, this is our boast. You just have to read all, all the letters to see how that word just surfaces over and over again. 
The testimony of our conscience is this, that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you with godless sincerity, purity, and not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. When all is said and done, when all is said and done, our integrity is what counts. And Paul says, as best I know how before the world, but specifically before you, I have lived a godly life. If we will do that, people could criticize all they want, but our heart is pure, our heart is firm. The third thing I think Paul says in both of these letters is to be honest with God and yourself and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Two verses of scripture. 2 Corinthians 11.30 says, If boasting is necessary, I will boast in what? What's it say? My weakness. The Christian life, by and large, is, is a contradiction to the way we would naturally think. Most of us, by our very nature, will not boast about our weaknesses. But Paul says, when people are being critical, let them have their room. Let them have their say. And again, going back to J.D., if what they speak into your life is true, then give ownership to that. But look at what he says in this famous passage in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. This is, this is after he has outlined his life experience and specifically having a vision of heaven and then God had given him a thorn in the flesh following that. This is so contrary to what we normally think, but this is what Paul says is important when people are critical. Just let God do his work through the Holy Spirit. But as well, I'll start here. My grace is sufficient for you. Who's speaking to Paul? God. Probably through the Holy Spirit. Maybe not audibly, but at least specifically, Paul recognized that God is saying to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is what? Perfected in weakness. Do we normally think that way? No, it's just the opposite. So thinking spiritually, thinking what, how God thinks, is, is what Paul said in Romans 12. We need to tr have the transformation of our minds so that we can think spiritually rather than in human wisdom. For my power is perfected in weakness. Now listen to this. Therefore, now Paul is speaking, I will most gladly boast all the more about my, what? Weaknesses. So that Christ's power may reside in me. Now listen to this. So I take pleasure in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in dis and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Second question that Paul has to deal with. Are you ever distracted by carnal people? Now let me define for you, if you don't know that term, it's, it's defined carnal in some translations, fleshly in another. 
what the essence of it is, a person says they're a Christian, but their behavior is more like non-Christians than Christians. So that's how Paul uses the word carnal. Being distracted by carnal people. One of my favorite movies, now an old movie, is Chariots of Fire. Um, it's a movie about uh, British racers, uh, runners, and uh, two main characters. One is Jewish, one is Christian, and, and um, uh, you know, it's just check it out on Netflix. It's there. But there's one of the runners, one of the characters, the Jewish man, Abram, that uh, is just driven for success. Failure is just not in his vocabulary. And so he got, he was a wealthy guy, he got the best coach available to coach him. And he would win most of his races. But there came a race in which he lost. And he looked to his coach after the race and says, what was the matter? What happened? I was winning. He said, here's what happened. You got distracted. You were running, you saw the finish line, and then you took just a half of a second to look to the side to see where your competitors were. And when you did that, you broke stride and they, or at least one person, went past you. Distractions can be very dangerous. And those who we associate with, who call themselves Christians but live more like non-Christians, are maybe the greatest distraction that we can have. It's critical for us to be aware of that. Again, Paul talking in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians, verses 2 and 4, he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. They didn't understand that. Every time they turned around, whatever Paul did, they were critical of it. But Paul knew his heart for this people. Now, I think Matt left. Matt did leave. I've had enough private conversations with Matt that Matt could say this about his relationship with you. He is jealous of you with a godly jealousy. Why? Because I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you a pure virgin in Christ. He wants all of you to come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. He wants all of you to grow in Christ and become Christ-like, godly and holy. And that's what, no matter what the criticism was, Paul knew his heart towards this church. He goes on to say, But I fear that the serpent that deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds also may be seduced from a sincere and a pure devotion. Satan is always at work. Always at work. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world, fleshly, carnal. Or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you milk, not solid food, because you were still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other doesn't that prove that you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people in the world? 
I don't think that's true of our church, but it is true of this church. Matter of fact, when Matt and I are talking earlier this week, I apologize. Summer and allergies are not good for me. We talked about, a lot of times people say, well, you know, if you could only have pastored a first century New Testament church, how wonderful that would have been. And we looked at each other and said, but this is one church we wouldn't want to pastor. In the very midst of this church, a church, with born-again believers in it. There were some who were either lost or very immature in their spiritual walk, and they were driving the agenda for the church. Let me challenge you. We're going to kind of close with this. But if there's anything in your life or anything that you see in my life that does not reflect the glory of God, Get on your knees before God and confess it. Get rid of it. It will be a cancer to your own life and a cancer to the church. Matter of fact, one of the sermons I preached earlier this month, I read a statistic that there, there are about 75% of everyone who, who was surveyed in America that would identify their spiritual background. 75% of them would say they're either in the Roman Catholic branch of the Christian church or the Protestant branch of the Christian church. 75%. Now think about that. 75% self-identify as either Roman Catholic or Protestant under the larger Christian umbrella. Do you think for just a half second if we were living out holiness and godliness out of our individual lives, out of our churches, and, and penetrating assault and light in our community, that America would be in the place it is today? I think not. Just one case, abortion. 60 plus million babies have died since Roe plus Wade. Roe and Wade. So we could think theologically, we could think academically, well, that's not our church, or that's not me. But collectively, in the larger body of Christ, there are more carnal influences than there are godly influences in the body of Christ today. So what do we do about that? How do we deal with it? Well, first, in a loving way, but a firm way, we confront carnal behavior. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5. Now, what I meant was, and, and this will make more sense in the next verse, what I meant was that you should not associate with people who call themselves brothers or sisters in the Christian faith, but live in sexual sin, are greedy, worship false gods, are abusive, use abusive language, get drunk, are dishonest. Now, I think it stops there. I'm going to go on. Don't eat with such people. That sounds strange, but not in their culture. For eating together was the most intimate bond of friendship. It still is pretty much in the Eastern culture. Don't eat with such people. After all, do I have any business judging those who are outside the Christian faith? 
The implication is, no, I don't. That's above my pay grade. But isn't it your business to judge those who are inside? There is, a, there is a, just a total falsehood, myth, about judge, you know, we're not to judge other people. That is totally unbiblical. It's somebody taking a part of Scripture and redefining it in terms of the whole. Paul clearly says, inside the body of Christ, when there's carnal behavior, you judge it. God will judge those who are on the outside, but you remove the wicked man from among you. I've been doing this long enough to know just a little bit becomes a little bit more, becomes a little bit more, and the next thing you know, the reputation of the church and the power of the church is gone. Second thing is, I probably should have put this first, don't hang out with immoral people, godly people, carnal people. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, do not be deceived. If you ever want to do study, I think I've referenced this before, look in a concordance at the word deceived in the New Testament. 80% of all the times the warning about being deceived is addressed to Christians. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Lastly, and we might even get out early. Don't hold your breath. <clears throat> Are you ever distracted by counterfeit people? I read this story, and I thought, this is a great story. I'm going to use it on Sunday morning. It's a story about a counterfeiter named Blinky. Blinky made $5 bills. And he did them so well that even experts at times could not distinguish between his counterfeit bill and a real bill. Hundreds of thousands of dollars distributing these counterfeit bills. He began to get a little greedy, and then he started counterfeiting a 20. But soon after he did that, he got caught. And it came to find out later the reason he got caught is that he mimicked a counterfeit 20 when he made his own counterfeit 20s. I thought, that's a great story. I'm going to look Blinky up. I took over an hour looking for Blinky and counterfeit $5 bills. That's my fault. I promised I would not move too much. I got excited about this story. Can you tell? I wanted to find out about Blinky. So I did a search in the internet. Blinky, counterfeit $5 bills. I did that well over an hour. You know what I found out? The Blinky story is counterfeit. <laughs> and I read that on Sermon Central Three or two other guys used it as illustrations, as if it was a true story. But I thought, I'm going to tell the story anyway, because that was what happens when you get excited about what somebody else says and do not align that with the Word of God. Matter of fact, for those who want to know, the story is Blinky Bonner, the case of the careless counterfeit, 
Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, December 1961. But that's what counterfeit people do. There's enough in there that makes you think it's real. And there were counterfeit people in the church in Corinth. Here's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. These super apostles, remember? For such people are false apostles. They're deceitful workers. See deceitful again? Distinguishing themselves as apostles of Christ, taking on the name of that. And no wonder, for Satan himself disguises disguises himself as an angel of light. That's a blinking yellow light, or maybe a blinking red light. These are sons of Satan. So it should not be surprised to you if his servants also distinguish themselves as servants of righteousness. But listen to what he says next. But their end will be according to their work. Critical people are an irritant to the church of Christ. Carnal people are a detriment to the church of Christ. But unjudged, counterfeit people can be the destruction of the church of Christ. And Paul was dealing with all three of those. Here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 11.4, to their, to their criticism, you happily put up with what, whatever anyone tells you. Remember the Bereans? I said I wasn't going to go to another book, but in the book of Acts, remember the Bereans? Paul taught, the Bereans went back and checked out what he said in Scripture. This people had no discernment. They saw the glitter, they saw the gloss, they saw all the stuff that seemed to be good, but they didn't go back and check it out. You happily put up with whatever someone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different spirit than the one we re- you received, or a different kind of gospel than you believe. Starts out kind of innocent, fluffy, and the next thing you know, it's 180 degrees off. So how do we answer counterfeit people? 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, Paul says, be discerning and be spiritually prepared. Matt could only do so much. Your small group leaders could only do so much. You've got to be in the Word of God yourself. You've got to be reading it and studying it and growing in it. Here's what Paul said. For the That is so powerful in the context of chapters 10 through uh, 12. Though we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. We're in spiritual warfare when we deal with counterfeits. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are powerful through God for the the demolition of strongholds. The Word of God is alive and active, the Scripture says. So when you are in the Word of God, you're going to be able to discern counterfeit, and you're going to be able to avoid it or speak against it. 
They're powerful in that way. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take everything, uh, every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me close with this. I don't know who the author was, but I like what he said. The very essence of staying focused is the avoidance of distractions. The culprit is not the obvious, but the subtle. The diversions we most easily rationalize are the ones that are the most dangerous. Everybody does that. That's okay. It's no big deal. But the the, the addition of small things upon small things that we just rationalize or avoid will be our spiritual downfall. So Paul closes the letter, the second letter to the Corinthians this way. Test yourselves to make sure you are solid in the faith. I don't know a lot of you, some I know really well. My, que- my question here is, are you a believer? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you recognize that your very nature is one that is self-centered? It is self-serving. And the nature of a Christian is, as we sing so well, thank you, Micah, that Christ is Lord. it's, It's not about the songs we sing. It's about the Lord we serve. Test yourselves. How do you do that? You simply, with total humility, say, God, am I right with you? Am I okay with you? I've shared several times that when Brian died, I had to know if Brian was okay. Theologically, I already had the answers. I, I baptized him. I, I had conversations with my son. So I knew that he had a relationship with Jesus. But theology alone was not enough. I had to know in my gut, is Brian okay? And after two hours of prayer, the Lord confirmed he is safe with me. Test yourselves. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. This is out of the message commentary. You need firsthand evidence, not hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. If you fail the test, then do something about it. I hope the test won't show that I have failed, but listen to Paul. But if it comes to that, we would rather the test show our failure than yours. Can you believe the heart of this guy? Being bombarded with criticism? But that shows the difference between a spiritual man and a carnal man. I want you to be all right. We're rooting for truth to win out in you. We could not do otherwise. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. If you don't know Christ, if you don't know that you know that you know Christ, let today be the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ. If there's been any drifting, any where carnal influence, ungodly influence, in the way you think, the way you practice, 
has begun to very easily move into your life, and you haven't put the brakes on that, haven't renounced that, haven't turned from that. Let today be the day. Say, God, if there's anything in my life that doesn't let you have full reign, full power, full influence in my life, I renounce it in the name of Jesus, and I receive a new filling of your spirit that I might walk in godliness and holiness. Third thing, and this used to be what we talked about a lot back in the day, and I'm old enough to say back in the day now. At our Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville, they talked about the fact that we don't call out the called anymore. Matter of fact, we hardly even give invitations anymore. But maybe God wants to do something in your life. It doesn't have to be like Pastor Matt or myself or a missionary. But just to make yourself available. If God wants to use you in the work of Christian ministry, in the local church, back there in the back, greeting people, whatever. And you have allowed other things to say, well, I don't have time to serve. But today God is saying, I want you to let go of some time so that you could serve. Pastor Matt has come back in. I talked about you, Matt, while you're gone. He would love to pray with you, talk with you. I am going to have Craig turn off my microphone for a little bit. Pastor Matt's to my left. I'll stand over here. Johnny's right here. He's one of our elders. I see Bob in the back, one of our elders. Dave is one of our elders. I know we only have a couple minutes before 11. But your eternity hangs in the balance right now. What God wants to do in the midst of this church hangs in the balance right now. And every one of us will say yes to the Spirit or no to the Spirit. I hope, as Paul prayed, that truth will win out. Let me pray for you. Lord God, our worship team is coming. We just want you in this few moments. I know that it's, it's abnormal in most churches today to give time for your spirit to let people respond. But Lord, in, as this worship team sings, if there's someone here that knows that they need to respond, not to my voice, not to this message, but to the Spirit of God who's made the Word of God alive to them, I pray that they will say yes. If it means going to Matt or Johnny or one of the elders or myself just to talk, I just pray, Lord, that they will say yes, they will say yes, and they will get up from where they are. They will go to pastor or go to one of the elders and say, this is what God is saying. We won't tarry, we won't wait long, but Lord, we want to make sure everyone has the opportunity to say yes to you today. I pray this in Jesus' name.